The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord for, from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. The New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 34. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding mill together, one will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, before we do jump in, I just want to say a huge thank you to the Reverend Lee Allen for his message last Sunday. I, I uh, hate that I wasn't able to be with you all last Sunday, but it was a, a good time away for uh, my family and I, um, and but I really appreciated this message about you know what it means to to go through change, change for life because that's how life happens is through the changes, and we have made a change in the liturgical calendar of the church. We have entered a brand new season, and it might even be so appropriate to tell you all, Happy New Year. Because in the liturgical calendar of the church, Advent kicks off a whole new year. We call this one Year A. Yeah, it's not that exciting, but that's what we call it, at least in the lectionary. <laughs> uh, we are in a whole new year with the season of Advent. And we do this with the season of Advent because, well, we're kind of stepping into how it all started. The church, that is. Our ministry, our hope. It began with Advent, the prophecies of, uh, of the prophets and those who had gone before, as we read in the Old Testament, the announcements of the angels uh, in the New Testament, the preparation, the time of hopeful anticipation for the coming Christ as we, uh, as we step into this season. It's the start of it all. Advent 
is that time. And in fact, if we uh, were to break down the word Advent, at least its etymology, where it comes from, uh, we get it from the Latin word Adventus, which means to arrive. To arrive. The season of Advent is this time of hopeful anticipation for the arrival of Christ. And not just the arrival of Christ in a manger scene, but the arrival of Christ again. Right? We are a church that believes Christ is coming again in glory. And so the season of Advent also looks ahead to our future. Not just the future of those in, in Scripture, but our future as well. This time of hopeful anticipation. But what about us? This, in the season of Advent, we often place the onus on Jesus showing up but we rarely think about how we might have a place to arrive as well in the season of Advent. That we might have an arrival of our own, or at least a place to go. You see, we get this lesson from uh, some of those famous ones like the shepherds. The shepherds didn't wait for Jesus to come to them. They went to Jesus. Or the wise men, the magi, they did not wait for Jesus to come to them. They went to Jesus. So, where is our arrival? What does it mean for us to participate in the season of Advent? Our passage from Isaiah gives us a little bit of a clue as it directs us to the mountain of the Lord, the house of God. The house of God. Now, this isn't just as simple as saying the church. In, in fact, uh, it's kind of dangerous for us to assume that what this passage is talking about is that our arrival is at the church. We're not saying that in this time people will start attending church more often. No, 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 no. The house of the Lord is a, a slight mistranslation, or not really a mistranslation, but a misunderstanding of, uh, of a Hebrew word in our English language. The Hebrew word that's put here for house is bet. And that word really means dwelling place. And now it's not hard for us to understand how we got to house from dwelling place, because that's what we do, right? We have a house, that's where we dwell. We have a place where we go to dwell. But the thing is, the dwelling place of the Lord is not the church. It's not the temple, as it might have seemed in Isaiah's time. It's among the people. We have passages like Ezekiel 37, 27, where God says, My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Or 2 Corinthians 6, 16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Just as we await the advent of Christ, we are called to our own advent to go to the house of the Lord among the people. The dwelling of the Lord isn't a church, it's a people. But there's one key aspect of Advent that is crucial and that the early church held tightly to, hope. Hope is essential when moving through the season of Advent. Our Matthew passage reminds us, but about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. 
Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Hope plays a critical role in the season of Advent. And as we kick off this season with the lighting of the candle of hope, we are reminded that on our journey to the house of the Lord, we must have hope. And especially the kind of hope that is rooted in expectation and patience. So let me tell you a little bit about some hope that I uh, really held on to yesterday. Yesterday was a tough day, and the reason why I'm incredibly burned out uh, and all over the place today. Um, I was forced against my will to run a half marathon. And by forced against my will, I mean I actually signed up myself, and I volunteered to do this. And It was not a mistake, but it was every bit a mistake. Uh, <laughs> I ran with, uh, with uh, one, of, one of our best friends, Bree, uh, and actually I've got to give a shout-out to Lynn Merchant, who is also in this very same half marathon. So, uh, yeah, over in Orange Beach, 13.1 uh, miles is uh, a distance that I don't enjoy traveling, not in a car. Uh, but there we were, running through, uh, running all around uh, Orange Beach. And uh, the only thing that actually got me from mile to mile was knowing that there was an end to it. It wasn't just an endless route of running. There was a finish line. And at that finish line, there was going to be water and food and you know, all the goodies that uh, are supposed to be at a finish line. It was that hope. And that kind of hope is built on expectation and patience. Expectation and patience. The expectation was that we would finish. We would get to the end of this 13.1 miles. The patience, though, was the hard part. Because... Well, it's 13.1 miles, and uh, <laughs> our average pace starting out was just shy of nine minutes per mile. So you start to add that up, and you start to get, you know, we're, we're into a couple of hours. But there's another thing that happens whenever you're running this kind of race that's a long race, and that's anything can happen. Mile one, I get to mile one, and I realize I didn't tie my shoes properly. And so, I mean, right as we cross over the first mile marker, my left shoe just comes untied and I start stepping all over it. And so, I have to stop, pull off to the side, and already my pace is cut in half, <laughs> just about. Uh, and I did have one person run up beside me and say, he's stealing my move, saying, you gotta, I've got to stop and tie my shoe, you go on ahead. Uh, mile one, all right. But after that, we start uh, getting, getting along into it. And... Uh, we're pressing on, and we get to about mile four. And now here's where things started getting very frustrating. Because in my training, in the past uh, week and a half, around mile four in my training, the same thing would happen. I would have this tendon in my leg that would start clicking and straining, and I could tell it was about to pop or do something terrible. And so there was that pain around mile four. But a moment of encouragement at four and a half. We got to see... Uh, my wife, her husband, her two kids standing there cheering us on with signs at mile four and a half. They were jumping around meeting us at different sections. And so that was just the encouragement we needed to get going and just the encouragement we needed because right after mile four and a half, you get on a highway that has the highest wind uh, coming off of the beach that I've ever had to run through coming right at your face. 
and you're running along and you're breathing in all the fumes of the exhaust of the cars that are driving by and the, the extra wind from the, from the semi-trucks and all of that, and mile four and a half to six is just brutal. And that tendon's still clicking and hurting really bad. We get to mile six, and there's my wife and her family cheering us on again, and they have cookies and coffee, which seems very unfair because we're not allowed to have that stuff yet. But they're cheering us on, and it was a little bit of an encouragement, but right as we crossed over that mile six marker, the twinge hit so hard I almost collapsed. And I had to start walking. And I was really worried that was the way I was going to have to finish the, the half marathon. And I was really worried because I was dragging her down and her pace and everything. But she decided to stick by my side. And we got to about mile six and a half walking. And we decided to test something out. Maybe there's a different way that I need to be running in this half marathon. And so at about mile six and a half, I start running a different way. And it works until about mile eight whenever I realize I've been so overcompensating with my left leg that now it's starting to bruise at my heel and the same tendon is starting to click on the other side. Mile eight. There's still 5.1 miles left to go. And so we have to change our pace a little bit. And we start having each mile to walk a quarter mile and then run the rest of it. But fortunately, right at about mile nine, we see our family's standing there again, cheering us on. And it's just enough encouragement, and we're starting to get into a group of people that are running at about our same pace, going through similar things. There's the pain, there's the anguish, and the patience. Because there's still 4.1 more miles to go. And this is about the time whenever she started having some uh, challenges with her hip flexors. And we're really struggling at this point because there's still 4.1 miles to go. But the expectation's there. The hope is there. The finish line is so close. You can't give up when there's only 4.1 miles left. So we press on at our pace and we're slightly crying and we're slightly laughing, but mostly it's crying. And we're pressing on because the training wasn't this hard. Why is this part so hard, trying to press on, knowing still that there is the hope of a finish line. And so we have to keep adjusting our pace and adjusting our pace. And all the while, there are these people we start to see as we're getting down to about three miles left, two miles left, people who are walking the opposite direction of us and wearing the exact same tags that we are wearing. They'd already finished. And they're just walking on, strolling down. A couple of people are still running because apparently you've got to keep running after you finish. And they're, st and they're just, it's like they're mocking us. And we still have three miles left to go. And how on earth are we going to make it? We certainly didn't have the same pace as these people. I had projected that I would be able to finish this half marathon in two hours and 15 minutes. It was not two hours and 15 minutes with all the limping that was going on. Uh, but it Two hours and 26 minutes on the dot. We cross that finish line. Seeing our families cheering us on, hearing our names being called over the loudspeaker, receiving that medal and a bottle of water, and trying to get out of the way of those who are running, still running behind us. And we got through it. We reached the goal. I learned a lot about hope yesterday. The expectation that's involved 
patience that's involved. Because you can't rush a half marathon. I say that, but someone did, and they finished in like an hour and a half. I don't know why you would do that. Some people rush a half marathon. I couldn't rush a half marathon. It's an act of patience, getting there, getting to the finish line. And you have to rely on that expectation. And I was reminded this morning of a passage in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, where the author says, Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The kind of hope that we profess as Christians is like a long race, built on expectation and patience, sustained by perseverance and endurance. Built on expectation and patience. So let's unpack those two words quickly. Expectation is an interesting word. Uh, and, and I want to turn here to a little bit of a call and response thing uh, when we consider this word, uh, which is how would you define hope? If someone were to come up to you and ask you, what is hope? What's your elevator pitch? It's a toughie, right? Because this is, this is one of those words that's just like everybody knows what hope is. I don't know how to say what it is, but we know what it is. Desire? Desire? Yeah, I like that. A belief in something better. Belief in something better. Yeah, the grass is always greener. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. So I... I uh, because we're playing off of scripture here, I turn my attention to the original Hebrew and Greek words uh, for hope, the, the words that we translate as hope in our Bibles. For Hebrew, it's the word tikva. For Greek, it's the word elpis. These two words both get translated for us as hope, but these two words quite literally mean expectation. That is their direct translation, that there is an attribute of expectation, knowing that something is going to happen, but we have not yet arrived. That is hope. But expectations are tricky and incredibly frustrating because when our expectations are unmet, they quickly fall into disappointments. It's the number one qualm among, uh, among couples and families is that Whenever somebody doesn't meet an expectation that we have, we get disappointed. So we often put up guards against our disappointments because when we experience those unmet expectations, we don't want to hold on to hope anymore because hope is letting us down. We're just experiencing disappointment. But for us as Christians, this is where our faith comes into play because we have this assurance that God does not disappoint. God does not default on promises. God does not abandon us. And so our expectation, our hope, is built on the sure and faithful word of God and love of Christ. That if we can cling to it, our expectations might just be met for the first time in our lives and our hope sustained. Advent is a time of expectation that the Messiah is coming and is coming again. But that's only half of hope. The other part of that is patience. Whenever I was around 13 years old, I think it was 13, 
maybe edging toward 14. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to go to Honduras. And Honduras is one of the most impoverished countries in the world. Uh, it's, it's very difficult, particularly if you get into their capital, Tegucigalpa. Uh, but while I was there, we frequently went to this uh, village, this town, uh, to help out with basic necessities as much as we could. We were helping deliver supplies, helping, uh, because this was kind of a remote area, and people didn't have vehicles, they had to walk many miles to get supplies from the uh, nearest city. And so we were trying to help with basic necessities. The name of this town, La Esperanza. During our time there, I picked up on a few Spanish phrases to help me communicate because they speak Spanish and not English, and I did not speak Spanish very well yet because they didn't offer that until the 10th grade. But the last day, I learned what this town's name meant. I asked our translator, and he told me that the town's name was Hope. That's Esperanza, Hope. I remember thinking at the time that it was, uh, and remember I'm 13, so give me a little grace here, but I remember thinking it was a very poorly named town, Hope, because there was a lot of hardship in this town. A lot of hardship in this town. I personally couldn't see hope anywhere. And later that day, one of the locals in La Esperanza, the place of hope, told us that hope is found in patience. That the people had hope because they are patiently waiting for better things to come. That they know there is more than just this. It was then that I learned that esperanza can have a second meaning, patience. How beautiful is that? Esperanza, hope and patience. It's so beautiful because it's a reminder that just because we hope for something doesn't mean that it's going to happen immediately. Oh my goodness, how much we like for things to happen immediately. But as a people of hope, in a time of expectation, we must be a people of patience. Because God is working something bigger that, is not yet, that it is not yet time for. And the thing that God is working on is building the dwelling place, the house of the Lord among the people. That's where we come in. We started at the beginning by recognizing that during the season of Advent, as we are waiting for the arrival of Christ, maybe we have a place to which we need to arrive. And that place being the house of the Lord, the dwelling place of the Lord among the people, perhaps that's where we go this Advent season. We have our part to play in Advent, a place to arrive, and we do so in the face of all obstacles and challenges. Because let me tell you, mile one, there's going to be something that comes up. And mile four is going to be really frustrating. But when you get about halfway through at mile six, six and a half, it's going to be miserable. It won't be the end of it either. You could give up there. Some did. But you don't get to the finish line by giving up. Instead, it's in that hope, that expectation, that patience, that endurance, that perseverance that gets you to mile seven it's a little easier. Mile eight, it's not so easy anymore. Mile nine, maybe 
we can make this happen, but I see that those people have already finished their race. Mile 10 is just rude because you've hit double digits, but you're not finished. And mile 11 and mile 12 come by a little bit quicker, but that last one is quite a stretch, even though you can see the finish line. There will be obstacles and challenge, but running the race with expectation and patience sustained by perseverance and endurance, we do get to the place to which we are called to arrive. That expectation we have is for the coming of the Lord, and the patience we hold is for God's holy timing. Meanwhile, we, as the people of God, go to the house of the Lord, the dwelling place of God among the people, and we do so guided by the light of powerful hope. And we do so in whatever way we can through donations of food items, by our generous giving to embrace Alabama kids, by our collection of items to stock stuffings or signed Christmas cards, by our serving an angel from our angel tree, by going to that neighbor who might just need a little bit of help this holiday season, by making a difference in somebody's life, because guess what? God doesn't simply come to church with us. God is out there with the people. We are called to the dwelling place of God, and during this season of Advent, we have our own arrival to experience. No one knows the hour, we're told, so keep awake. Don't grow weary running this race. Have the hope that comes with that finish line and the established kingdom and love of God among God's people. Let us pray.